Welcome to the Christian Life Austin Wednesday evening message. Today's message is entitled The Harpist Warrior by guest pastor Jonathan Moore from North Rock Church in San Antonio, Texas. But I, I do want to talk to you for just a few minutes tonight. Uh, we, we, we tend to see uh, people's highlight reels in their lives in the world of, of social media. I don't know if you have noticed, other than the people who like to post every gory detail about their life, the normal people actually uh, generally post things that, that are, are, are highlight reels. You know, they, they post the picture of the, the ribeye from Ruth's Chris. They don't want to post the picture of 12-piece nuggets from... Um, you know, McDonald's. Nobody wants to take a picture of that. Um, we, we tend to see people's highlight reels. And uh, it's amazing how, if you know this, but the number one word for 2013 in America last year, well, 2013 was last year, the number one word in America was selfie. That's right, selfie. What does that say about us, first of all? Uh, but, but it's amazing how people have learned to take the, 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 the perfect selfie and, and how they get the angle just right. As a matter of fact, if you wanted to, you could actually Google how to take the perfect selfie and there's some you know, step-by-step instructions as to the best, best way. You don't want to be down here. You want to be up high um, and a variety of other things. Uh, but it's amazing to me how people have, have they, they don't post the selfie of right when they've crawled out of bed, you know, and there's stuff coming out of their mouth and they're, Eyes are bloodshot and swollen, and there's you know, a little crust in the in, right, you know, right here. No, no, they they wait till they're all showered and cleaned up, and when they get in their car on the way to work, I I, I don't know why, but people want to. I look so good today as I'm looking in my rearview mirror. I just think I got to take a picture of myself <laughs> in the car. You know, they say things like starting a new day or excited about today, but you just want us to see how good you look today. It's, it's okay. It's okay. You know who you are, and I, I don't know who you are. Trust me, I'm not thinking about anybody. Uh, but it's amazing how we, 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 like to, we, we show the highlight reels of our life. And a lot of times when we see people whom God is using in amazing ways, you see people on the stage or you hear someone speak or you see someone who is gifted in whatever area of service or ministry um, they have, someone who is dripping with ability, a lot of times we think... That, that came totally naturally, that they didn't have to work for anything. They're so gifted. As a matter of fact, a lot of times when we say, man, they just have a gift, what we're really saying is they didn't have to work for anything. It, was, it just happened for them. Uh, because, because we tend to see and focus completely on everyone's highlight reels instead of what really is happening and what really happened behind the scenes before they were catapulted to the position that they currently are. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 is where we're going to begin tonight. And we're going to move quickly, so just stay with me. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 is where we'll start. And it says this, For we are God's handiwork. Say handiwork. That word, that word handiwork comes from the Greek word, which is poema, and it literally could be translated as a poem, or it's translated in other, uh, in other texts as, as masterpiece. We are God's handiwork, his poem, his 
masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. Look at your neighbor and say, you are. No, you are. Yeah, you are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus. He didn't just create, he didn't just make you a masterpiece and fabulous just so that you could suck oxygen and, you know, exhale carbon dioxide and just do nothing. He created you to do good works. To do something. He made you unique. He made you special. You are a masterpiece. He deposited gifts and talents and abilities into you. He didn't mess up when he made you. He made you just the way he wanted to. But he didn't just make you so that you could look in the mirror and take selfies. And say, God, another Monday. He created you to do good works. Which, by the way, by the way, God prepared in advance for us to do. So even before he created you, he knew what he wanted you to do, and so he made you specifically how he wanted you to be so that you could do what he wants you to do. Preparing you to do what he has prepared for you to do. Every single one of us are God's masterpiece. God's masterpiece. So God Put the gifts in you that he wants in you. But in order for those gifts to come out, there's a process that needs to take place that we're going to talk about for just a few moments tonight. All right, I'm going to tell you a little bit, of, a little bit about the life of David. And everybody knows about David. And then, you know, your pastor is like the Old Testament guru, pastor, preacher. And so, I mean, I could pick the most random of characters out of the Bible and you would have heard them because that's, that's who he loves to preach about. So I'm going to, I'm going to just take... The most obvious person that I could tell. And I'm a little embarrassed to preach about David and Goliath. I know that because you know the story so well. However, I I hope to share a little bit of something with you tonight that just maybe you haven't thought about. We might look at it at a little different angle. And I believe, I really believe, it's going to help you or help somebody somebody tonight. Tonight, um, the subject is simply this. The harpist warrior. The harpist warrior. Warrior, and my subtitle is The Story Before the Glory. You like that? It rhymes and everything. It sounds all preachery and stuff. The Story Before the Glory. I should have jumped into my preacher voice right then, um, but I didn't. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 11. We're just going to read for a, a moment here, and I read more text than I typically do at the beginning, but it's, it, it's just an incredible story. So follow along, either, you know, either turn your Bible on or, or open your Bible, or you can look at the screen. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 11 says this. Uh, so he asked Jesse, this is, this is the prophet Samuel who's actually showed up um, at, at David's house because the current king was about to be replaced. Uh, God had had enough of, of the current king uh, of Israel, Saul. And so he said, we've got to have a new king. And so he sent the prophet to Jesse's house and said, one of Jesse's boys is going to be the next, the next king of Israel. And so uh, the prophet came to Jesse's house and asked for his boys. And Jesse brought like seven boys, seven of his older boys before before the prophet, and, and, and Samuel said, none of these are the one. Do you have any more sons? And this is where we pick up the story. First Samuel 16 and 11. So he asked Jesse, are, all, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. 
Samuel said, well, send for him. We, we were not going to sit down until he gets here. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Tending sheep, just like that. Now we're about to be anointed as the next king. So Saul took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went down to uh, Ramah. So the prophet went back and, and, and went, went back home and, and David went right back out to tend and sheep. Verse 14 says, Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. This is the previous king. And an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendants said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Verse 16, Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre or, or, or harp, lyre or harp. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you and you will feel better. So Saul, who's the king currently still, said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well. Everybody say well. And bring him to me. One of his servants answered, I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem. He knows how to play the lyre or the harp. Again, this is, has nothing to do with David having been anointed to be the next king. This is still backstory here. I mean, David's still tending sheep. These guys don't know that David's been anointed. If, if, if they did, well, Saul would already be out to kill him. They, they didn't know that. But see, God's putting the pieces of the puzzle together just like he does for every one of us in all of our lives. He said, I've seen a son of Jesse in Bethlehem. He, he, he knows how to play the lyre. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well. He's a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. Who is with the sheep. So this is, this is uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16. And this is the chapter before David is about to be catapulted into fame because he killed Goliath. A lot of people don't know the backstory. Many people do. But a lot of people don't even know the details of the behind the scenes or the story before the story. Because it really doesn't matter. He killed a giant. That's all that matters. Because he killed a giant... In 1 Samuel chapter 17, David became you know, freakishly famous um, in Israel, ultimately became king. But we're going to highlight four things here over the next few minutes that represent David's life before the highlight reel. And the Facebook post just shows David kills Jiat, and he's standing over him with a sword. But what happened before that? How, how did he wind up in this position to, to start with? You know, the, the, the front page of the newspaper just said, teenage boy, Jesse's youngest son, shows up and slays giant Israel is free. And suddenly, you know, they show David on the, on the shoulders of all the other guys, of the other, uh, of the other soldiers. But what happened before that? Because it's important to know some of the things that happened in David's life before that moment of glory. And the first word that we're going to look at tonight that um, was definitely evident in David's life is diligence. Diligence. Everybody say diligence. Diligence. Man, David was faithful to his giftings and his callings long before anybody had any idea who he was. He had a gift of music. 
He wrote songs. He would sing songs to the sheep that he was shepherding. He would play music on the hillside. He, I don't know, maybe he played for his family. We knew that we know that he would go out and he, he would sing out in the pastures to, his, uh, to the sheep that he was watching over. He played and he played and he played it. Man, you, he must have practiced thousands of hours. Think about it. In order for him to be the first person that the servants of the king thought of when the king said, find me somebody that can play the harp real good. And the first person that came to their mind was David. He must have been really good. In his amazing book called Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell, um, the author, author says, says that it, it, it takes roughly 10,000 hours of practice to achieve mastery in, in a field, in, in any field whether it's a keyboard or, or a guitar or um, some type of other type of artistry, any, any field that, that you would be considered a master in, it takes approximately 10,000 hours of practice. So David must have been diligent. And, and we, see, we see his gift in full operation when he comes and plays for Saul. But what we don't see is the diligent grind that David must have put in in order to develop that gift that God had deposited in, in his life. And here's where we are in 2014. Most people want the benefit without a burden. You know, we want the blessing without the burden. We want the glory without the grind. Yeah. Most people aren't really into putting a lot of effort and energy into it. And listen, every time God gives you a gift or plants a seed or an ability or a dream in your life, it should come with a little, um, a little asterisk that says, some assembly required. <laughs> I'm planting a seed in you, the, a big dream I'm planting in you. One caveat, there's, there's some assembly required. Uh, we had a a wonderful family that bought our boys a, a ping pong table for for Christmas, this last Christmas. I don't know if you've ever messed with a, a, a large, uh, a good quality ping pong table. It, it's, it's a stinking beast. I mean, we had to call like multiple neighbors just to help us get it up the stairs. I'm not kidding. It was like four men taking this stupid ping pong table up the stairs in our house. We got it up there. <gasps> we just threw it out on the ground, and, and, and I tried to walk away from it. But, but my boys would not allow that. And my oldest one, you know, cut the box open and started working on it, trying to put it together himself. And, and I, I, couldn't let him, I couldn't let him do that because he would have never gotten it together. And so we decided to work hard to put it together. And it... It, it took a while. It did. It took a while. We, we worked on it a while. And then we took a break and we came back and worked on it some more. And uh, one time we took a break and actually had to go to uh, the Home Depot because we broke something. <laughs> and, uh, and we worked on it some more. It, it took us a while. But see, if you just come to my house and, and you come up the stairs and you see me whipping up on my kids and ping pong and just, you know, making them cry and crawl over in the corner sucking their thumb because I'm beating them so bad. By the way, your pastor can play ping pong. He beat me one time with a shoe. 
He took his stinking shoe off over there when we, when we had the old youth, youth facility. And I'm very competitive, and I was not pleased with that outcome. I don't know if he said, I'll beat you with my shoe, boy, or if we just didn't have but one paddle. But for whatever reason, you probably remember that, but he beat me with a shoe. Anyway, the way that he treated me that day is kind of how I treat, I treat my kids now on the ping pong table. But if you just see the fun and the games and the joy that we're having, you, 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 would, you don't really know what, what it took to put that dumb thing together. And, and listen to me. Listen to me, uh, CLC. When, when you see someone who's functioning well in a gift... You see God using them mightily and doing dramatic and amazing things with their life, whether it's in the church house or out of the church house. But you see someone functioning well in their gift, you can know two things. God gave them that gift, number one. And number two, they put it together. They cultivated it. They worked on it. God deposited that gift in them but they put it together. They worked on it and cultivated it. It's alarming to me the number of believers, Christians, who expect the product without the payment. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6 says this. This is why I remind you. Second Timothy, next one, next, next one. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. God gave you the gift, but you've got to fan it into flames. What is it that God has given you? What is it that God has blessed you with? What is it that God has deposited in your life that you know you need to do some work on? You need to do some cultivation on. You need, you need to, you, you need to, to, to there, there, there's a grind. There's, there's some work behind the scenes. You might got to run to Home Depot and come back. And t- you might have to need to take a break. But there's something that God has given you, maybe a dream that God has planted in your life that you need to cultivate and work on. We, we, we tend to sit around waiting on God to do things in our life. And, and he's sitting around looking at us going, when are you going to do something with what I've already given you? God, if you'll just, if you'll just, he's like, I've already have. You, we, we sit around waiting on a move of God and he's sitting around waiting on a move of man. Develop what God has already deposited in your life. Where does God want you serving him? Where does God want you serving him in this house? You're waiting on somebody to approach you, to ask you, um, to recruit you whenever I know that God, there's so many things you could be doing for the kingdom of God in this house, be it in kids' ministry, parking lot, greet, whatever you call your first impressions or greet team, maybe on the stage. What is it that God has already put in you that you know you could already be doing? Cultivate the gift that God has already put in you. David diligently worked. He had to have in order to achieve the level of of excellence that he had. And that brings me to my second word, which is excellence, excellence, excellence. David didn't get called to play the harp because he loved God so much. He got called to play the harp for Saul because he was really, really, really good at playing the harp. He did not get called to play for Saul because he prayed so much. He got called to play for Saul because he had played so much. Now, we all know that prayer is more important than playing. However, 
However, that's oftentimes the last thing that people notice about you. David had worked and he was really, really good at it. 1 Samuel 6, 17, Paul said to his attendants, find somebody who plays well and bring him to me. The next verse, I've seen the son of Jesse. He knows how to play it pretty good. Bring him on. They noticed him because they'd heard him play. They'd heard him play. He'd taken the gift that God had deposited in him assembled it, worked it, and now he played with excellence. Anything that you are doing for God, you should be doing it with excellence. I don't care what it is. I don't care if you fix automobiles for a living and you ought to fix them on time and at a reasonable price. I don't care if you're a surgeon. Well, you better know what you're doing if you're a surgeon, but you better be working with excellence. If you teach kids in school, you ought to stand out in that school. You should be the best teacher in that school so that people look and say, now what's going on in their life? God gave me this gift. God gave me this gift, and and because he gave it to me, I'm going to work it until I am excellent at it. You know, the next time you get up, in the morning in time to see a sunrise, just, just judge God on how he did, on, on making the sun come up. You, you can judge him, you know, between a one and a ten. How did God do with the sunrise or the sunset? He created this world with excellence. With excellence. He set it up with excellence. And he wants to produce excellence in you. And whatever you're doing, whether you're, whether you're a coach, coaching a ball team, or whether you're a, a boss at your office, or just a co-worker at your office, you should be the best. You should be the best. You should do what you do with excellence. The third word tonight is, 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 is uniqueness third word that represents David's life before the glory is excellence. Excellence. One of his, I'm sorry, uniqueness. 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 Verse 18 of 1 Samuel says this. One of the servants answered and said, I've seen the son of Jesse of Bethlehem. who knows how to play the lyre. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well. He's a fine looking man. He, he, He plays the lyre. And I love this. He's a brave man and a warrior. So he's a harpist, and he's a warrior. Like the little Sesame Street song that says, one of these things is not like the other. Two things you don't generally find in a bowl together, a harpist and a warrior. Not a lot of UFC fighters play the harp. Just look up, you know, look online, Google. I did today just for kicks. Harpists in San Antonio, and the people who had their picture of playing the harp, they, they, they didn't look like fighters. They didn't look like warriors. But David was a harpist, and he played it with excellence. And he was a warrior. That, that, that's unique. That, that's a convergence of two abilities that do not seem to go together at all. And yet both were needed. A lot of times, right there at the intersection of your strange giftings is where you might find your purpose or find your calling. See, in chapter 17, the chapter that David became famous, he comes to a battlefield. You know the story of David and Goliath. And, and Goliath is, is, is yelling and screaming, and, and the poor 
people of Israel and, and the armies of Israel, they're terrified of, of, of this giant that the Philistines have set before them, and nobody wants to fight him. David shows up and says, something's got to be done about this. I'm just a boy, but something's got to be done about this. And so David goes before King Saul in chapter 17 with boldness and says, I, I want to I fight this guy. David, a teenage boy, steps, steps, steps up to the king and says, I want to fight this guy. And, and Saul says, okay, well, let's try to do it this way. And he puts his armor on David. And David's, you know, trying to walk around in Saul's heavy armor. And he, with boldness, says, I cannot dress in your armor. Basically, let me do it my way. L- let me do it my way. Here's what you need to understand. Because of David's unique giftings, the reason David had the courage to approach Saul and ask if he could fight a giant was because he knew Saul. Do you know why he knew this man? He had been playing music for him in his bedroom night after night while Saul went to sleep. God brought them together. David knew Saul. Saul knew who David was. That God had deposited this unique gifting into David. And David had cultivated it to the point of excellence. And when the king needed a harpist, they called David in. And because David had an audience with Saul, he got to know him and he had boldness as a teenage boy to step up to the king and say, let me fight him. No, let me do it my way. It's because he had allowed God to use him from playing a harp that he had the boldness to speak to Saul and had no fear about stepping into his presence. None whatsoever. God put some strange and unique things into David. He also put some unique things into Jonathan. He's put some unique giftings into you. And the reason he's done that is because he's got some special and unique things for you to do with your life. Special just for for you. And, And the thing that you look in the mirror sometimes and think, you know, makes you weird to yourself or to others, man, it makes you wonderful to God. You say, it looks weird, and God said, no, it's wonderful. Look at your neighbor, look at your neighbor and say, you're weird to me. You're wonderful to God. Yes, sir, God. God can take those two seemingly polar opposite things in your life and use them both to bring about your purpose in your life. He'll take your upbringing which might be totally different from your current situation and use them both. Use them both. He'll take what you went to school for, what you thought you were going to get a paycheck for, and what you're actually doing now and what you're actually getting paid to do. He'll take both of those, though, and use them to bring about his purpose in your life. Fourth and final point, i got three minutes, is experience. Is experience. David had experience. David had experience. David came to Saul, verse 21, and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. And Saul sent word to Jesse saying, You know what? Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. I'm pleased with him. So Saul, David had experience in the presence of Saul. David had experience being a warrior as well. He had killed a lion. He had killed a bear. While again, just a boy taking care of his sheep. He was no different than you and I. No more heroic than than any of us. Just as a young man though, experience had taught him where true power lies. 
And God has this amazing ability to arrange the experiences in our life to accomplish his purpose. To layer the experiences in our life to bring about his purpose. That's exactly what he did with David. Starting with slaying a lion and a bear while just a boy watching sheep. Playing the harp and being brought in before Saul. Things that seem to not even go together. But when God needed him to take the strength and, and the warrior uh, that, that had been planted in him in, in, in killing a lion and a bear and, and, and to combine it with the ability that he had to play that, to play that harp, it's amazing how God layered it and put it together to bring about uh, freedom for the nation of Israel and to catapult David into the place that he really wanted and had for him in his life. In his life, I'm going to ask the musicians to come, and I uh, just, just want to show you something. I want to show you just a little simple illustration to help you kind of understand how God can take experiences in your life, good experiences and bad experiences, and layer them to create something amazing. Man, God is unbelievable at taking bad things that happen in our life and use them for his good and, and, and our good. The scripture says all things work together for good. Those that love God and are called according to his purpose. All things. You mean the divorce? Yeah. He, he can take that and turn it around for good. But what about the second divorce? Yeah. yeah. He, can, he can take that. And he can turn it around for good. What about that third one? I, I don't know. It's some, but he can. No, he can. He really can. What about what I had to deal with as a child growing up? No, he, he can take that and turn it around for, for your good. When I was just a boy, when I was just a boy of Twilo, when I, when I was just a kid, I was eight years old. And in, in an amazing service, midweeks at revival service, I felt God drawing me to come and give my life to Jesus. And I'll never forget at eight years old, I was in a little Pentecostal, not a little, a big Pentecostal church in Jackson, Mississippi. And I came down to the front and I gave my life to Jesus. And he filled me with the Spirit. On that very same night, I was baptized. It was an unbelievable, life-changing moment and experience in my life. And from that moment on, I said, I'm going to serve God with everything I have. That, that happened when I was eight, eight years old. Now, as, as I got a little bit older, as, as I got a little bit older, I, my, my, my father got ill whenever I was, I was 10 years old. And, and a lot of you know the story, but he, he, he became ill to the point of being an invalid. And as a teenager, I had to help take care of him. He couldn't work. And uh, we, we fell on terrible financial times as a family. And at one point, my mom was crying one day at a table, and I'll never forget it, at my kitchen table. And she said, son, if something doesn't happen, I'm afraid we're going to lose our house. And she was working two jobs already. I was about 14 years old. Let me tell you something. I'll never forget the day that my mama came in holding something in her hand and said, son, come in here and sit down at the table. I've got to show you something. And she sat down at the table, and, and she, she pulled an envelope up, and she sat a check down on the table, and it was a significant check. What it was, it was disability for my father that had been retroactive for about three years. And I realized as a 14-year-old boy, God's not going to leave me. God's not going to forsake me. God knows right where I am. He knows right what's going on in my life. He's taking care of me, and he's taking care of my family. 
Now, 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 now fast forward to, to whenever I was 18 years old, I went, to, I went to Bible college. You represent Bible college. Seminary, if that sounds better to you. But it was really just Bible college. I thought I was just going to be a singer. That's what I wanted to do. I want to sing for Jesus. In a little chapel service one day, in a little chapel service one day, God dropped a, dropped, dropped a bomb on me. I said, son, you can sing all you want to, but I, I got something else I want you to do. I'll never forget where I was laying on the floor in that little hot gymnasium where we had chapel in Jackson, Mississippi. And God said, I want you to start a church one day. I was like, huh? I don't even preach, Jesus. I don't, I don't even preach. Oh, we'll start there. We'll start there. My, my, my trajectory of ministry com- completely changed. Completely changed. And, 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 and then, uh, then, whenever I was 21 years old and we graduated and got married, Alicia and I, Alicia and I moved, to, moved to the great city of San Antonio, Texas to, to work in a tiny little home missions church there. And we fell in love with the city, man. We fell in love with the city of San Antonio. We did. We fell in love with it. And uh, I left there two and a half years after moving there assuming that I would never be back in that city. Great place. We enjoyed it. And we loved it. But I'll, I'll never set foot back in the city again except to visit the Riverwalk. Fast forward. A few years after that, as I already told you earlier, in January of 1999, God brought us right here. Right here. You see, God was stacking the experiences in my life. He was stacking them. But I wasn't nowhere near being finished. I'm still not finished. But I wasn't nowhere near being finished. He knew what I needed. And he brought me right here to serve under this pastor. And this pastor and this church completely changed my paradigm of grace and how God loves people. God loves anybody and everybody. Everybody's welcome into the house of God. There's nobody that's too far that he cannot reach. Completely changed my paradigm. That's not a secret. That's not a secret. I've told Pastor Johnson that since since about five years after being here. Completely changed my paradigm. God's stacking my experiences. Because had I gone and tried to start a church with that old paradigm, we'd still be in a cafeteria with about 15 people. Or less. We wouldn't have 600 people worshiping consistently on Sundays. And yes, a little over 1,000 on Easter Sunday. We wouldn't have that. But God's stacking my experiences. God's stacking my experiences. One day, while still working here, I was driving through San Antonio, the north part of the city. And out of the blue, out of the blue, I felt God nudge my spirit and say, What about this? What about here? And I wasn't even thinking about starting a church. It, was still, it had not really come back to me. And I looked at Alicia while we were driving through the city. And I said, maybe we're supposed to come to San Antonio and start a church. And of course, she looked at me like I was crazy. And probably said, you just need to go talk to Pastor Johnson. But God worked on us. And he worked on us. And he worked on us. And lots of conversations and lots of counsel and lots of prayer and lots of fasting. He wound up taking us. Y'all supposed to be playing. There's supposed to be more music happening right now. I forgot to come to you. 
God was stacking those experiences, leading us to the place that he has us today, where, yeah, even in the dead of summer, we got 600 people showing up and worshiping God. We've baptized so many people this year. I don't have the number off the top of my head. But God is doing unbelievable things. Unbelievable things. Stacking my experiences. Some of them were good. Some of them were bad. But God has this amazing ability to take them all and turn them around and use them for His glory. Would you stand with me? Stand with me. Stand with me. Lord Jesus, in this room tonight, there are people from all walks of life. There are people who are in so many different places on their journey with you. There are people that are, that are in difficult and challenging situations even tonight. And God, I pray that you would give them peace and that you would give them strength and that you would touch them and encourage them tonight, helping them to understand that you have this amazing ability to turn what is bad around for good. And some of us are still wrestling with Things that happened to us maybe when we were growing up. Maybe abuse in our past. Maybe loneliness in our past. Maybe some things that we have had trouble reconciling. And Lord, I pray that you would help them to see that you have the ability to take the bad. To to take the bad and turn it around for, for their good. So that your purpose can be fulfilled in their in their lives. Lord Jesus, that gift that you have deposited in every single one of us, that thing that makes us the masterpiece that you call us, that thing that makes us your handiwork, your poem, let us cultivate it. Let us work it. Let us pray through it. Let us do more than just dream, but let us begin to take steps in growing that gift, growing that gift, even if it seems to be a grind sometimes, so that that gift can come out and be used. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. So be it. Would you give the Lord a big hand clap of praise tonight? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit clcaustin.com. And for more information from Pastor Jonathan Moore, please visit northrocksa.com.